Hello, and welcome back. Good morning, everyone. I've uh, constructed a makeshift uh, sound booth here on the banks of this lake. And these freaking geese have finally toned it down a bit. So we can pick back up where we left off. At this point, I just boarded a plane. And I'm on my way to London by way of New York and it, I guess it was you know you get in these positions where you start noticing things or feeling like things are bigger than you bigger around you you're dwarfed in the whole scheme of things and that started f from well early on when I, probably when I got to the air, you know, San Francisco airport is just this mega, this m mega civilization of just people and cars and uh, traffic and, you know, running from one place to the other and scrambling to make your plane and get there. And this is, this is, of course, pre 9-11 where um you know you can still it's it it's an experience it's not a as daunting an experience but it's still it's a big it's a big thing i don't know uh, i've never quite understood how people you know in these um uh, jobs that just take them overseas just f for three or four days at a time and then back you know they just shoot off to shanghai or they have to jet out to uh you know the middle east or something or some south south american country and meet with somebody and you know discuss a couple of things and then hop back on a plane and go and it was just beyond me but but i was still able to keep a pers simple perspective i mean i enjoyed flying i enjoyed i actually to this point in my life this was uh Aug at this point this is mid-august of 95 uh reason i know that specifically is because i left before my sister's birthday and she was i think she was kind of angry but or maybe that's just the way she always looked but um but up to that point in my life, I'm 24 years old, I do, I had been on, um, you know, a handful of flights. I'd been to, I'd been to Hawaii, I'd flown over the Pacific, I enjoyed, I, 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 um, relished flying, I, I looked forward to it. Yeah, you know where all this is going, I can, you're not... I think I've got a smart audience here. When I got on that plane, I um, expected to just relax, kick back. You know, I, I again, flying was just something that you did. Um, I didn't dwell much on it, but somewhere about halfway to New York, my first layover, probably somewhere over Iowa, I started to get this really strange feeling in my like in my chest like it was like um, constricting like I don't know maybe my blood flow was a little uh, different it was uh, going faster than normal and uh, I didn't know I didn't understand what this was and uh, so we were halfway through a uh, a three-hour flight here and I just had this weird panic, like a, a real dull panic, like as if as if your panic had just been like covered with a cloth napkin. And I started to kind of like s readjust myself in my seat, and then look side to side, and I, it it 
it was a really un, unsettling feeling, but then it, it occurred to me, this is probably, probably like anxiety. Uh, maybe a combination of like, I don't know, this, uh, it wasn't, uh, well, I look back on it now, and uh, I seemingly developed like this combination of a f- irrational fear of heights as well as claustrophobia. And I've always been claustrophobic, you know. Uh, I remember my cousins trying to stuff me into some kind of, like, trunk when I was about six. And uh, that was a pretty formative little lesson. I didn't enjoy that much, but that's what cousins do. Um, And I did not enjoy that experience. And this was, I guess this is kind of reminiscent of, of... of that whole kind of flashback episode. So I was kind of like, I felt like Rodney Dangerfield without a tie. I was just kind of like grasping at my collar. And uh, I think I'd gotten up and maybe walked around, used the restroom, probably rinsed my face. But I, this this was, uh, this was weird. It was just a weird, ominous type foreboding that um, I, did, I wasn't uh, coming to grips with all, all that well so I said I, I at this point I had probably flipped my brain into survival mode and just kind of went into some kind of zen trance of some sort until I got to New York and when I landed in New York in the terminal, I remember going to the gift shop and asking for the strongest over-the-counter sleeping pill they had, which at the time, there were these, uh, I don't even remember what, I remember they looked like these big yellow pills, it looked like a big giant fat yellow Tylenol, and uh, there was probably a dozen of these in a pack, so I got a pack. And uh, when I boarded, I mean, I had no choice. I had, now I'm in New York. So I don't think I reconsidered going back or staying where I was. I thought, okay, this is just something that uh, we're going to have to remedy as we go. And uh, the the full impact of it all hadn't really occurred to me yet like what you know what was what was uh about to take place you know it could have been a combination of things i'm not sure but i took these pills i think i took one or two i took probably one or two glass or little bottles of wine little tiny like you know the little fun size bottles they give you on the plane and uh, pretty much just passed the fuck out. And so I slept my way across the Atlantic. And when we dropped into Heathrow, I was one hungover, dehydrated mm, husk of a person at this point. Um, now this goes back to generational gaps at this point see in 1995 august of 1995 to be exact there was never this uh adamant uh need for water 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 everywhere nowadays we're like we gotta go get a case of water let's go get some water make sure we got you got water we need water is that water good can we drink that water is that how long has that water been sitting out don't uh, don't leave the water bottle sitting up, blah blah blah. But ninety five, I I remember even as a kid, like six years old, when I was when I when I left the house to go, you know, meet friends and follow the mailman on my bike for hours and miles and the summer heat. I never drank a drop of water I was never thirsty and I don't recall ever even see you know when you went to the grocery store the supermarket wherever you went um 
the beverage aisle had sodas and tea and coffee and you know um the f- varieties of other drinks but the water if if there's water on the shelf it was like perrier or some bizarre bubbly concoction that nobody bought it was just it had dust on the top of the of the six pack and you know you moved on with your life but now it was like today's day and age 2021 um if i go a whole day without water i'll probably die and i don't i it's the most bizarre thing in the world um that's a distinct difference between you know 45 years ago and today uh did the earth heat up that much more is it affecting my well-being my personal homeostasis but when i got off that plane in heathrow and i was i was working my way through customs and they were stamping my passport looking me dead in the eye and hope pretty much uh, assuring me assuring me that i'll be leaving in the city uh just visiting yes okay good at least we know you're leaving thank you thank you what feels good to be here i was so dehydrated i i i just i i abandoned every drop of moisture in my entire body um I don't rec- I, there was no potable water on the plane. You know, people didn't want they didn't drink water. They just didn't drink water. And for life of me, I don't know how I made it through that little stretch of time. But but I was in. I was in the, I was in London, England all of a sudden. And it was so for it was literally foreign. It was a foreign environment. It was so strange. And it was just something I'd never, I don't know. You know, I've always had this kind of like a open-minded, like whatever it's going to be, it's going to be without any preconceived notions. Any, uh, I mean, you picture London, maybe you think of, I don't know, Mary Poppins, um, Pink Floyd. I do remember, you know, what's strange. I did, I swear I saw David Gilmore walk out of McDonald's in London, but it, I don't know. That might have just been my imagination. Um, but yeah, you don't. Th- you think of like uh, Shakespeare. Um, you think of English stuff, English style stuff. But uh, but this place it, it, we went to, this was this was a real mm, modern met, met, metropolitan. This was strange it was weird it was overwhelming it was dark it was dirty it was cold it was it was hot it was strange it was up it was down everywhere you went there was some historical building that was older than uh you know the continent of america there's a plaque on the wall on some random you know brownstone somewhere that said shakespeare wrote macbeth here you know 200 years ago you're like oh okay that's interesting like you know the tower bridge you know the bloody tower um parliament where guy fox tried to burn down the parliament you know a penny for the guy that poor bastard um you know everywhere you turn you'd 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 bump into some kind of piece of history some some you know where like some sacred text was kept or some you know phenomenal work of art you know the uh, the uh, the paintings and the the sculpture and the architecture it was it was it was interesting um not necessarily notable you know notorious for their cuisine um not that i was not that I gave a sh- two shits at that point, you know. They had fish and chips. That was cool, um, but we were on a pretty tight budget. I met up with, you know, my my girlfriend now, and uh, what we were doing 
was uh, we were inadvertently saving the world. So that was our task. And we were going to do that through the organization called Woofing, W-W-O-O-F-I-N-G, Woofing Worldwide Organic uh, Something Farms. And <laughs> so we were going to, basically, basically the concept was this. You contact uh, somebody that has a, some kind of organic presence, a farm, or, um, you know, any, any, anything in that manner. Um, it was all, uh, I, I guess it was agriculturally based, worldwide organic farmers. I don't know where the other O, I don't know what the other O stands for. But, uh, but it's a worldwide organization. And basically you contact a host and they house you while you, um, exchange labor for a roof over your head labor could be the form could come in the form of anything and uh, so my girlfriend had made these she was making these calls she'd start making these calls calling around she'd written a few letters this is back when you wrote letters as well um, no cell phones no texting, no, uh, very little email, if any. I mean, it, it existed, not with us, but uh, this was not instant, instant gratification. This was very much the opposite. Um, several uh, unsuccessful attempts at contacting, I mean, there's pages of this book, there's a book with the acronym on it, W-W-O-O-F, Come on out. Work on our farm. Work on a beet farm. Work on our goat farm. Work on this farm. You know? Grow organic potatoes. I mean, you name it. But we're in London, England as well, and there aren't too many farms within reach. So um, so we had to kind of rely on our, our resources. Well, one resource led us to Tent City. And... Uh, I, of course, deferred a lot of the uh, guide duties um, to my now girlfriend, Jennifer. We're going to, that's her name, Jennifer. And she uh, she knew of this place, and uh, if I remember right, it was in, in the East Acton area of, of, of England, of London. And so we went through Trafalgar Square, we went through Hyde Park... You know, we um, made our way through the streets of London to this, uh, what appeared to be uh, a town that was a portion of London that was still recovering from uh, the air raids of that Germany um, uh, had, had performed on. And it was it was a rough. It's not what you think, you know. When you go to some, you know, you you see these pictures in books, magazines, uh, you know, online, etc. And it it's never quite what it appears what it appears to be. So this was definitely that. And what it was uh, in reality was kind of this. It was a not a hostel, but a haven and it was a kind of a hold out section of the city where um, travelers from all over the world literally were kind of culminated and and uh, just threw up a tent they had showers uh, you can get plenty of uh, HPV or any kind of uh, you know uh some kind of rash, you know, you could pick up some kind of, you know, situation that'll stay with you for a while if you're if you're careful enough. If you're not careful enough, and so this is where we began our journey, and it was, you know, it. 
I don't remember even rehydrating. I just remember kind of walking somewhat in a daze. And it looked as though... Um, it looked as though I had... Um, been kind of rolled for... Been rolled for my money. Uh, and then left in a, a kind of a gutter to be discovered. But I wasn't. I, I was fine. I just looked that way. And it was really just absorbing the impact of all this. It was it was a lot to take in, and so we uh, we established camp in the in the city, and and just kind of tried to regroup. I remember kind of cobbling together a few. Uh, we got a, you know a few necessities. Uh, we re- I, I probably rehydrated with some kind of juice, you know, at that point, because hydration was never uh, on the forefront of anybody's, uh, f- you know, health um, agenda these days, at, at this day and age, this time. Um, but we kind of just huddled huddled in and you know we got familiar with the tube the London Underground uh, making our way from one end to the other and we did this for uh, maybe oh the first week or so until we uh, were six, we were able to contact somebody it was it wasn't uh, it was somebody in Ireland we um, finally made contact with uh, there was a couple people. One was um, a woman, uh, an old, older woman named Patricia, who was running a bed and breakfast in County Wexford. And um, and then there was the second one that was really where we were aiming for was uh, a goat farm. Um, in County Wexford. This is the southeast end of Ireland. And uh, her name was Anya, Anya Kent. And she had a goat farm uh, that she ran all by herself. It, a lot of, it, it was very interesting times. This was 1990, August of 95. There was a ceasefire in Northern Ireland. Um, so that we had a nice little window of opportunity to uh, get through now now this is what at, at this point well Northern Ireland was one of the most dangerous places in the world you know this was like Beirut this was like Tijuana you know that you can people circulate in and around these pockets these hot spots but you know shit blows up um, which again in, in, in my naive scope of things uh, I hadn't quite digested the social ramifications of all that, but but we started in this. Well, what we did was we we made a commitment. We we said, okay, we're gonna be we'll 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 start off. We're gonna go out to this bed and breakfast out in southeastern Ireland, and uh, and we'll just start from there. I mean, it's the first thing we got our hooks into. And, uh, you know, the small, f- small fortune that I had brought with me was dwindling quite rapidly. And this was going to be, this, this is how we were going to kind of like pad our little accounts and make our way from point to point. Um, so we made our way out, made our way out of London and th- went through Wales and then uh, through in the evening we went through Cardiff and real rural, real beautiful, just green rolling hills. You know, a lot of these um, boulder walls everywhere you look that were just kind of dividing these uh, these paddocks for these these uh, property owners, the landowners that had whatever they had going on. And then, you know, these small country roads that uh, that 
winded their way through all this and then out to through Wales um, to the coast and hopped aboard a ferry. And one thing I thought was interesting was that the severity with which I was examined by customs in London, I was quite, it was quite the opposite getting on the ferry to Ireland. And I thought, well, this is a, we're going to a new, another country. Is there no, um, is there no scrutiny amongst, you know, travelers? Do they, do they, and the, the real truth is no, like this is Ireland. Um, you know, it's this weird little anomaly of a, of a place. It's beautiful. And, um, the currency is just as strong as the pound. Um, but they really, they didn't have, um, a huge, uh, GDP. They were really just kind of, you know, they were just Ireland. They were just there. They were this autonomous thing that just kind of like, uh, it's, it seems like they just kind of enjoyed their life kind of in the shadow of this monolithic entity that they were next to that, uh, they didn't bother, you know, the UK and the UK didn't bother them. So they just knew like, okay, you're going to Ireland as they looked at, uh, your identification, they knew you weren't going to stay there. There wasn't, Ireland is amazing, but it's so, it's, there aren't a lot of huge, huge city hubs. Um, and, and, and again, now this is my impression. Now, if you asked me at the time, like my impression of Ireland, what I was expecting, I would have said, well, it's probably like a village with a bunch of thatched roof houses and, uh, you know, people walking around in tweed and, uh, drinking and, uh, you know, a lot of cobblestone streets and I wouldn't be too far off, but, but the reality was, um, no, there are developed portions of huge, huge cities in, in Ireland. Um, you know, Limerick, Cork, uh, well, Dublin, Dublin too. I mean, I, that's what, that was my, that was my impression of Dublin. I was thinking, I'm going to show up to Dublin. It's going to be like three or four thatched roof huts, you know, and, uh, and, and some old, you know, writer looking people in, in a vest, you know, in a, in a, in a tan long sleeve t-shirt, you know, sitting outside of a pub, you know, spinning yarns and saying, you know, interesting things, you know, clever things that, um, messed with your head. But the, the reality was they, you know, Dublin's a huge, huge, it, you know, there's, it's a million person city population. It's, it's, it's huge. It's huge. Um, Trinity college is there. Um, you know, again, all, all these great uh, establishments, these, these great cathedrals and these great, uh, you know, they had it, they had a, they had an industry. Um, that's where they used to make the DeLorean. Uh, they made the DeLorean in, um, Ireland to escape, uh, heavier tax burdens. And, um, uh, now it, 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 well, the Do the DeLorean came and went, um, shout out to John DeLorean, RIP. But now it became, uh, well, it was kind of the burgeoning uh, era of tech over there. So things were starting to roll. Um, but it was still kind of in its infancy. But it was, but it was a modern place. Um, but, when we, uh, but when we landed, when we landed in Ireland by ferry, we hopped off. And again, we were still kind of getting our, I was still, I was getting my European legs, my, you know, just trying to like 
grasp, mentally grasp what was going on. And, and as the people circulated off the ship, um, we were on foot. Now, this, is, this, this was to be the portion uh, where you got to know how to hitchhike, where you learned how to hitchhike. And so as we made our way out, out of the docks and into the town... Um, it started to occur to me, to, well, to us, that, you know, this was a, a quaint little, one of many quaint little seaside ports, but it, you know, it had the ubiquitous fish and chip shop. Um, sometimes it would double up as the uh, pub and or mail post office, uh, trinket shop. You know, there are a handful of like little, little shops and uh, nice, clean, sandy beaches, little on the chilly side. But the people, you know, as they dispersed and got into their their cars and and left, you know, you started to weed out like who now, who was left, who were the wandering few, and it was me, Jennifer, and uh, and then uh, at the very the very end of the whole stretch this this young kid and uh i don't think he even introduced himself by name but he just offered to to walk with us we were all hitching now all hitching and we kind of started to make our way through the there wasn't there were no suburbs you know there was a, uh there was the high street or the main street and that kind of circled through maybe a couple hundred meters of town and then it opened up into uh, you know more rural area that's that was that was really the recurring theme i started to find here was that uh it was a lot like the postcards showed and but i started to really learn what was going on or learn the subtleties of being overseas as an American with an Australian in Ireland. This young man, uh, again, I, he didn't, I don't recall him giving us his name, but he started talking about how he was on his way up to Dublin. And as we walked, you know, he would, he was a very uh, Gregorious uh, kid. And he'd wave and say hi as we walked by, and he'd try and chat up, uh, you know, some old spinster who was out front of her yard for a ride and whatnot. And uh, as we got turned down, he'd say, "Well, must have been my my Dublin accent." And I said to stop, and I thought, "What? What do you mean?" Like I didn't question him on it, but I thought, "Dublin accent? What does that mean?" He's Irish. He sounds as Irish as anybody. And, but yeah, uh, there are different uh, accents even within Ireland. Um, so that was fascinating. Um, but he ended, he ultimately wandered off, and it was just the two of us on our own. And we uh, we ended up sleeping in. We I think that was the first night. The first night we did a tent. And we, um, yeah, yeah, we definitely, I think we did a, we, we put the tent up at some random paddock. You know, we got to this, I mean, it's just baffling now to think that we could go through these little hamlets, these little tiny villages. And that's what they were. I mean, some had, you know, there was um, water, you know, we were close to Waterford where they make the crystal and Waterford was probably the equivalent of the equivalent of say like, um, I don't the size wise. It was probably the size of say like, um, you know, San Marcos, California, about that size, not much bigger. Um, or Lodi, but it had this big crystal factory there. But, even the bridges over the little rivers were made of these cobblestones and these 
bolt these these old boulders. I mean, these were bridges that had been there for probably a thousand years. Like, like the U.S. was only, you know, at this point wasn't even two hundred and fifty years old. This bridge was f- four times older than the U.S. But we would ask the local pub owner who to talk to as far as sleeping in the in the cow paddock and he would guide us or if it wasn't his it was he knew he knew whose property it was and talked to them or he said well go ahead and i'll give you the okay i know i know seamus <laughs> and, and sure enough he he uh he he probably knew seamus and said you know i'm okay you're okay to stay the night over there and so we would literally throw a tent up in the middle of a of a cow pasture um of course nowadays you call that homelessness but at the time we were riding our rucksack and we had to be we had to be just outside of wexford at this bed and breakfast on a certain night on a monday it had to be a monday morning so we were killing we were killing time this was um this was probably the end of the first w- week we were there, so, uh, you know, hypothetically, if it was a Thursday or a Friday, we were slowly and methodically milling our way from the east coast of, of Ireland, inland, and we meant to, uh, we cut our way through, I remember going through Kilkenny, the town of Kilkenny, and that, there's a, the Kilkenny Castle was there and it was just like you you would imagine an older village villagey atmosphere probably a population say maybe uh 1100 people maybe and then the castle itself was just amazing and we we even wandered in and there happened to be it had to have been a friday or a saturday because there was an art display of uh, ralph steadman's paintings going on of course Ralph Steadman was the uh, you know he's from the UK and he's a he's a genius he's a he's a brilliant brilliant artist who did a lot of all the work for uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and a lot of Hunter S. Thompson's uh, magazine articles and other books but uh, but we just happened to wander into a uh, Ralph Steadman gallery um and I didn't see if he was there or not, but we kind of spent the afternoon there, enjoyed our time, and then at the end of the, the end of the weekend, we made our way to the bed and breakfast. Now, this was not this was not the typical woofing experience, probably, if most woofers, if you ask them. I'm sure they would rather be working in a garden of some sort or a vegetable patch or some kind of farm setting, but this was a bed and breakfast. And so we rocked on up and introduced ourselves. And sure enough, this was like, it was like a, not a Victorian, but it had that old world style. It was an old... I guess back in the day it probably would have been a mansion. It was almost mansion-esque. You know, sev- several rooms, uh, older decor, you know, ostentatious, just um, like doilies, a lot of doilies. And so we were uh, given rooms, um, separate rooms, naturally, and given kind of a breakdown of what was going to go on. Basically, you're going to kind of cater to the guests, the bed and breakfast. There was a breakfast, probably, a, you know, in the morning, the breakfast service, then cleaning. The afternoon, you had time to kind of mm, gather yourself, take some personal time. Then you prepare for dinner. The, the guests come out for dinner. You know, you... Uh, you clear dishes you replace stuff uh you clean rooms and there was one other girl there i think she was a i believe she was a 
Was she American or was she English? She might have been. She might have been American as well. So there was. A, so now, the, the staff totaled just three of us, including this this other girl, this American girl, and uh, and then Patricia, the the owner. And Patricia was kind of this old cadaverous woman of a, of sorts who had. Uh, I distinctly recall her losing a tooth as she drank tea one night, and. Not that that was disconcerting in any way, although I guess it could be, but um, it just seemed like it was this this this, this surreal experience. It was kind of like um, I don't know, maybe an apocalypse now section where, like, as they're deep in the jungle, like they just kind of happen upon this French uh, that that French plantation style house where like this family is in there living some strange French colonial life, uh, unaware that the war in Cambodia is all around them, yet they just carry on. That's a lot what this house was like. Uh, very regal, very, um, just, uh, not ostentatious, but, but very detailed, like a lot of beautiful trim work, stuff you don't touch. Uh, the china had like um you know the pinkish red designs on it and were very ornate ornate that's the word i'm looking for um you know the the, the teacups were all you know if they all look like they were from some hummel collection and if you dropped one you know it would have you know it would have been an heirloom that that you could never replace so so that's the environment we lived in, but it was so str- it just didn't fit. It didn't seem right. And um, that was when when Jen got the call from Anya, Anya from the goat farm, which was down the road about I would say, gosh, probably about ten kilometers, and which is a little over six miles, and. She uh, needed somebody, they needed somebody, but just one. So they packed her up and took her, and uh, I think Patricia took her. Yeah, yeah, Patricia took her and shuttled her off, and here I was left to my own devices in a bed and breakfast uh, in southeastern Ireland with um, this old spinster that um, had a habit of losing a tooth every time she drank tea. And I, it, it, yeah, it, it was bizarre. But I kind of bided my time and I kind of worked my way through the, um, through the motions, making beds, uh, attending the guests until probably another couple days and I said to myself this isn't uh, this dog don't hunt I don't this isn't uh, like I'm not going to just make beds for a week and then go back to the US that's a bunch of horseshit. I'm not this isn't what I signed up for so so I elected to give myself um, a def- uh, a deferral um, an honorable discharge if you will and Unbeknownst to um, the Ameri- the other American girl that worked there, and Patricia, specifically Patricia, I decided I would uh, escape out the window promptly the following morning. So the night before, I packed up my bag pretty good, and I set it off the side of the bed, and I had an easy access window to the front of the property, and woke up the next morning at 6 a.m., and simply just opened the window, threw my pack out, climbed on out to uh, freedom, and I was gone, down the road, literally, just gone. I just decided, I don't, I don't think I need to, this was what they call an Irish divorce, because at this time, this, this is August, no, now it's probably September, so now we're early on into September of 95, yeah, uh, divorce was not legal in the country of Ireland, yeah, if you can believe that, an Irish divorce was just simply, the guy walks out, he's gone. Like, 
see you in the funny papers. I'm out. And so that's what I did. I, I did an Irish divorce. And I was gone. So I started uh, heading on down the path. Heading down. Every, every road was some kind of rural road. It just rose up to meet you. I loved, I really liked Ireland. I really liked it. And uh, so as I kind of waltzed my way down the road, I started, I had, I remember that first couple of weeks I had that song America in my head from Simon and Garfunkel. On board to look for America. So I sang that to myself as I wandered down the road and I, and I had no idea where I was going. I just headed, I headed in the general direction I thought that I thought Jen would be at. She was whisked off to a goat farm right there in, uh, well, this was a, okay, so we were in County Wexford, and I believe the next big town was Enniscorthy, about six, seven kilometers, uh almost four or five miles northeast. But I somehow figured I was heading more east than northeast if I was going to be successful. Because I had to find the... This was literally... I had to find the village of Terrorath. Terrorath. That was the name of the village. And it literally was a village. This was a village. And uh, just down... Oh, no, it was New Ross. New Ross. Not Enniscorthy. It's New Ross. And New Ross was... Um, I, uh, it, if memory serves me correct, or if my impressions serve me correct, it was a... Uh, it was a... Um, it was a... Um, the Kennedys had a, a family presence there there was it was like ancestral homes or properties of of the kennedy family there was a big plaque to john f kennedy just outside of new ross and new ross was a cool old town it was like there's a river that ran through it and um it had some modern a little more modern i mean it was very uh, irish centric uh the colors were all very you know pastel uh like sleeping bag red uh, with white trim and, uh, you know, fish and chip shops everywhere. And, uh, but I knew I had to go east. So I started wandering down these rural roads, just singing some Simon, Gar Simon and Garfunkel to myself. And eventually, f f maybe by way of, I don't know, maybe I called her. I must have called her. Somehow I had called her, and I had gotten to within probably a half mile because you really had to know where you were at to find the village of Terrorath. Because Terrorath was, uh, I think, the only resident. There was probably two or three other houses in this whole village, and Anya's was one. And Anya's was really a property, and on the property was her her house. Which with, uh, I think it was a three or four bedroom house with a main kitchen, living room facility, and then you come out from her house, and the property was huge. It was a, it was literally a goat farm. Just she raised goats, and she, and she took them to goat shows, and they were prized goats, and she milked the goats, made goat cheese. We had goat milk. We. Um, she loved those goats, um, and she it was just her. And I don't know what it was with, you know, Irish spinsters that, um, you know, were on their own. But it, it was kind of a recurring theme here, and that was cool. But, uh, but the the village itself was just one, maybe. 100 meter stretch not even of about three buildings the post office which also doubled as the pub and 
no fish and chip shop. I think there was a general store, and that, and then just the remnants of old abbeys. You know, like you could just be wandering. You know, the miles and miles of pastures and fields. It was just these remnants of abbeys, old built. You know, these were probably built by the Vikings. You know. Uh, stuff that had been there, I mean, again, literally thousands of years, the Gaelics and the Vikings and these these uh, adventuring nomadic tribes that wandered through here and conquered them. And, and you know, Napole- I think Napoleon stopped when he got to Ireland. He's like, ah, fuck this place. That's probably why they didn't check my passport too much. But, you know, but even Napoleon was on his way you know it's crazy to think you know you know the u.s is what is it it's like it's like 200 and it's not even 250 years old and some of these abbeys you know dated back to like the probably the 15th century and they just were strewn randomly throughout these paddocks and these pastures and so i'd made i'd made a connection somehow i'd got within a half mile or so and and i think i was rounded up and brought in i think if i remember right and to my vaguest recollection i remember walking into the property and just seeing goats everywhere and there was the goat barn. We we weren't really allowed. We her 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 whole thing was, you know, the goats were hers. The goats you don't don't worry about the goats. That was those were her babies. She took them to the goat shows. She milked the goats. We didn't deal with that. She had her her garden, and that's where Jen worked. And then I was given a separate room in the house in the main house and now it was just three of us over here we'd settled in pretty nicely and she was expecting some more guests so she'd made contact i basically inserted myself into the situation um you know we came as a package it wasn't it wasn't like a it wasn't a mandate but i i still if i hadn't been able to stay there i would have just Probably just threw the tent up somewhere out in a cow pasture and ride it out my time. But as luck would have it, my building skills served me well. Because on the property was yet another old cottage that Anya, this beautiful hair-lipped spinster, was renovating for her mother to move into. Her mother lived... Across, across town somewhere, like out of town somewhere. You know, I don't think it was New Ross, but she was trying to move her in onto the property, and so there was only so much organic farming to do. There's only so many beets you can pull. There's only only so many potatoes you can grab with a rusty pitchfork and round up for the afternoon lunch which uh which is what it basically in the mornings you would have a cup of tea a little jelly and toast then you get out and start your duties uh depending on what was on the agenda for the day afternoons would consist of uh oh no no in the mornings you get a fried egg as well and then for lunch, you'd, you'd get another fried egg with beans, toast, and some beets. And then in the evening, I think it was something similar. Nothing very, nothing extra. It, there was not this. There was not this like. Um, there wasn't this food quest like this, you know, uh, compulsion to just gorge like. Europeans and in, in, in the UK and in Ireland in particular didn't they just ate sparsely um, 
and that was this that's just what the way it was this is what the the way they did it they didn't have these big you know omelets and gigantic portions and these mountains of hash brown potatoes or french fries or you know it was uh very you know stoic portions and it, it was almost like um it was religious in a way you know and it ate you ate you got just enough to know that you were still a little hungry and then you went about your day and it was it was a weird thing you know um not to pull the obvious contrast but you know the u.s we just it's like a game it's like a dare like how much can you eat how much can you ingest can you can you eat the 69er can you eat the you know second helping i mean my god so i was yeah i was starving so i was starving and uh but as luck would have it the old barn that was on the property that was being renovated i was shown in a anya now anya was anya was a really nice woman and she was the type of woman that um she wasn't much to look much to look at but again she like i say she was always the type that was on the brink of being comfortable and if you could kind of get her to smile like that was a big deal but most of the time she was kind of straightforward very business minded just do the task at hand you know and be thankful for what you have and i get that and it's again it's a very stoic way of doing things as was the tone for the whole place and so we would get our little breakfast and I was there to stay. Like she just begrudgingly just accepted me. She brought me in. Um, and it turns out it benefited her as much as it did me because this barn that she brought me into had this mammoth solid wood floor that was just installed and needed sanding. And then once it was sanded, it was to be finished lacquered and then walls to be framed and then um, lay out the walls frame them by hand cut the wood by hand with a handsaw build the walls frame the walls hammer and nails all by no power tools no air tools uh, the only thing that was electric powered was the sander that I finished the, the wood floor with and she'd pay me uh, 200 quid a week which was pretty good considering well our lodging was covered no overhead expenses the food was free so I was just putting away 200 quid a week and so we were there for a total of about a month and a half or so almost a month close to a month it took me a while to get get all that stuff dialed in particularly by hand you know this was not we're not in a you know it's like back in time it was literally like back in time like all my assumptions were somewhat coming true as far as just the antiquated style of things as opposed to like the industrial metropolis that was Dublin but but we hadn't been to Dublin yet. We were in Terrorath, the village of Terrorath. And uh, I spent my days just framing walls, sanding floors, laying out the bottom and top plate. And uh, what a lucky, yeah, it was just a lucky situation. And I don't know whatever happened with Patricia. She must have just came in and found my... I should have left some kind of like fake, like a like a tackling dummy under the sheets. I think I packed it with pillows or something to make it, some make it seem like somebody was still in bed. 
I could picture it now. She's probably like, that American boy just sleeps so much. But no, I'd, I was, I was already, I was already, you know, getting my, uh, 